Hi, and welcome back to But Where Are You From, a podcast by Be Seen. We are six East and Southeast Asian women discussing life, culture, and everything to do with being EC in Britain. How's that for an intro? Yeah. (laughs) You made it sound perfect, seamless. And today we have Amy, Charlie, Mayan, and Carly on the potty. Hello. Vera the cat. Yeah, I'm yeah, Vera, Vera, who's really desperately trying to be on the podcast. She made it on the artwork and now she's like, bitch, this is my time. Is Vera EC? Is Vera of EC heritage is my question. I mean, she's called Vera Jingmei Wong. So <laughs> take from yeah. that what you will. Yeah, how did you come up with that name? Because all the females in my family are called Jing something. So I was like... Jing Mei, because she's beautiful, obviously. Aww. That's the name. She was just going to be called Jing Mei, but then I thought people wouldn't remember her name. Um, you wanted her to assimilate into this culture. Yeah. But maybe now I'll just start calling her Jing Mei because I started using my Chinese name. So mm. if I can do it, Vera can do it too. Power let her to reclaim people. her name. Yeah. Let her reclaim we the narrative. Quiet justice and quiet beautiful exactly rather she's not quiet though that's the problem and I'm not either so it works (laughs) so today we're going to do a Q&A we have had some questions submitted a few weeks ago granted I asked these questions um before we formed as the BC and Poddy but I think they apply to all of us there's no specific questions just to me um and they're really random. So I'm going to start off with the first one, which is quite nice, actually. Someone's asked, how are you? You all right? Like, properly, really. Aww. <laughs> that is so nice. I know, yeah. Because not many people Kieran. ask, do they? They don't, actually. You're right. And to be fair, I always give the same answer and I don't think deeply into it because I just immediately say, I'm fine. No worries. I'm good. But I am trying to be a bit more honest lately um but it's hard especially if it's online and um because I don't really like phone calls I prefer just texting or messaging but you know then it ends up being an essay but definitely I would say in recent times very up and down quite extreme I would say um and it really depends on the news because unfortunately I've taken to checking my phone first thing in the morning and it tends to be the roughest news stories that come up first because they're the most popular or most viewed. And that pretty much sets the tone for my day, which isn't the best. Mm. You look like you're on the therapist lounge at the moment. You're like lying down on the sofa. <laughs> like... I wanted a relaxed vibe, I think. I feel because I feel like, you know, I'm chatting with you guys. You're my friends. And this is how I envisage us. If we're all like, hanging out in the student yeah. common room of BC That's school. BC in exactly. school. I agree with Amy it's been very up and down and I think it's really important to be honest when we are telling people how we are but without feeling like we need to tell our life story to anybody who asks but I've been struggling a bit with getting time for myself because with everything that's going on I am feeling a bit overwhelmed with communications and screen time and such especially with everything being so digitalized um, given the pandemic and not being able to travel and stuff like that but I think when people ask how I am being honest is also quite a good opportunity to 
tell people that um, like I'm okay, um, but don't take it personally if I'm not super responsive or whatever. Like I want my friends to know that I, I do love them and I want to catch up with them and have all the chats and stuff. But sometimes after a full day of work and all the work that we do outside of work would be seen and evenings and weekends just being full up with activism and and you know running be seen it means that I kind of just need the the time that I'm not doing that to just collapse and be with myself um or talk about it in therapy which is also really helpful so mm. yeah I think it's it's Amy's right being honest is really good and just you can say yeah I'm okay up and down without having to go into too many details and I think that just normalizes it and it makes people understand that you can't always respond to everything. Interestingly uh, it depends on who's asking the question. Um, I think recently I've been all right a bit better than I was maybe the first couple of months at the start of the year Um, and that is probably been a result of really putting down my phone and not looking at it um I mean personally I think I'm at a funny place um right now in terms of just not just day-to-day but um how I feel in general where I'm heading with my career and where it's going or where it's not going and like satisfaction coming from that um but I think also just acknowledging um with the pandemic and maybe just uh, the point I'm at in general um that just need to reassure myself and and remind myself that this it's not a race you know we just have to take each day as it comes and and um yeah take it take it slow what about you charlie how are you like really (laughs) yeah i mean very similar to everyone else it's obviously ups and downs i think kind of on the other side today has been a really good day i slept loads last night we've had nice. a fantastic meeting today at BC, which is really Indeed. exciting um so today I think is a good day for me um but you know appreciate like everyone says there is obviously ups and downs to life in general what about you Viv how are you really I'm great I got laid yes <laughs> <laughs> mum not one. Hi, Mama. Not Ariane, if you're listening to this, <laughs> she knows. She knows it's the natural part of life. Um, and actually, I'm feeling pretty good, apart from the fact that like I've really hurt my back, so I'm walking like an old granny at the moment. Do those um, two from... stories like not yeah, they, they not don't correlate? From getting sorry, laid. sorry, sorry. No, not from getting laid. Not from getting laid. Not that adventurous. No, this is from the gym. Um... Not that there would be anything if, if if it was a sex injury. The bedroom gym. Mm, interesting Ooh. interesting yeah no 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 I don't think I've ever had a like a sex related injury of recent times anyway um, <laughs> <laughs> um but generally speaking I feel the same I don't check the news anymore I don't know what the heck is going on in our world I don't I try not to do that I've got all my notifications turned off on social media because I just really find it overwhelming and it gets to the point like you said my where there's just so many messages and like you really want to respond to your friends and family but just sometimes it just feels so much and then I just I just can't be bothered I feel tired just thinking about it like all the admin that you have to do because it is admin isn't it at the end of the day um, I think that's a really good point about responding like I've noticed I've 
really reminded myself that I don't need to respond to people right away. You know, that includes friends as well. And that's been really refreshing to leave a message unread for a few days and then get back to them whenever I, I feel able to, especially to sit down and just write a proper message instead of just the usual, you know, alike and that's it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And I think that, well, something I've been talking about in therapy recently is the fact that we well I certainly I don't know if I'm speaking for everybody but I have spoken to a few friends who feel similarly there's like really few moments in your day when you're not taking in information so I work at a screen all day but around that time I also look at my phone I I mean I don't always check the news but I do I also look at social media um I read articles or things that people have sent me when I'm making dinner I'm usually listening to a podcast or something I if I'm if I'm relaxing I'm probably watching something on Netflix so I'm taking in information there if I'm socializing or speaking to catching up with a friend I'm obviously having a discussion with them and taking in really very rarely ever just do nothing even if I'm like walking to the shop or something I usually put something in my ears like a podcast or music or something um and I just realized how absolutely wild that is. And so she was like, you need to set yourself a, a goal to just at least have one moment in your day where you're not doing anything, whether that's walking somewhere to do something, but not going off and doing something useful, just walking somewhere and not listening to anything or just sitting on the sofa or however you want to do it. And well, yeah, when I started thinking about it, I just thought, wow, my brain is just constantly engaged all the time, apart from when I'm asleep. And even then I think that, you know, stuff can invade your sleep and sleep is so, so important. And I've been having really wild dreams lately. So yeah, it's, it's just a, a bit of a realization that I've had recently. Mm, yeah. Yeah. Apparently we make like over 30,000 decisions every single day. No, I, heard I went to like there's some workshop thing and I was like, shit, is that real? Is that a real fact? But mm. if you think about it, like whether subconsciously you've consider that decision you still make a decision in some way so I'm going to pick up my drink that's a decision I'm going to talk that's a decision like yeah sending the brain signals Mm, yeah um so you know it's it's tiring just living never mind having to exist Mm. in this world as a fucking woman um person of color etc etc you know there's a lot going on have you guys Um, ever had a dream where you're dreaming a regular day at work and then you wake up and you have to go to work that's yes. so boring. Maybe. I know. So shit. I've had that and a few you feel times. Like you've lost. You've lost out on the like yeah. joyous, peaceful sleep bit, and you've just had no. a, a, like a back-to-back shift. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Oh I've God, had that no. a few. Yeah. I just dream I'm in the office and I'm really stressed, and then I wake up and I'm like, "Shit, I have to go to the office." really annoying I dreamt last night that it was Saturday like and I woke up I was like oh Saturday and not only was it not Saturday it was Tuesday which is absolutely the worst day of the week oh yeah worst it's the best though when you wake up on a Saturday thinking it's a weekday and you're like yes yeah I've done that that feeling so much coming back to the not checking the news thing I actually realized that I don't need to check the news anymore because my mother just texts me news as if like as if I don't have access to the internet I don't know if anyone else's parents do this 
honestly, she'll, I'll, I'll, you know, I'll message her to check how she is or whatever. And then she'll say, oh, I'm fine. I did X, Y, Z. And then she'll say, um, Boris Johnson is announcing this in France. They've done this. They've discovered a new variant in Brazil. And <laughs> do you think that Aww. I don't have access to it? She just wants you to be informed. <laughs> That's so cute. Telling me news. It's so funny. Like she's breaking news. Like Prince Philip's died. Like, I, I do I do know that. <laughs> Across, you'd have to be living under an absolute rock not to know that Prince Philip had died. <laughs> oh, bless her. That is so sweet next question if everyone's ready to move on and I don't know how well I don't know why this person asked me this question because I'm not a vegan and I think the person that's most qualified to answer is probably my aunt who is vegetarian (laughs) but they've asked how to encourage Chinese or EC parents to be accepting of veganism I get left out of dinners celebrations etc sad smiley face Mm, well that is, it is a tricky one. Mm. Um, I, so I remember when I first told my mum that I wasn't eating meat anymore, she was like, oh, but you'll still eat chicken, right? And, you know, we really, it was really this kind of, <laughs> she was like, and seafood and all that, meat, right? Just chicken. Um, and then she, she was a really shocked about it but b also i think speaking out of a place of of, at the time she just didn't have very much knowledge and veganism vegetarianism wasn't as um centered in mainstream consciousness as it is now and she genuinely was concerned about you know she was like but you'll become anemic like where will you get your protein from and she was really genuinely worrying about how i was gonna um, get my nutritional intake from um and uh, it was a bit of an adjustment but the way that I did it was um and again my situation is quite different because uh it's just my mum at home so when I go back to visit her it's just the two of us so it's it's much easier to have control over um you know what we eat and so I would do a lot of the cooking and basically I think I managed to show her the vegetarian food is actually a really really delicious and quite interesting and b can be nutritionally you know complete as well and i think that that just took a while and over the years she has become really thoughtful um she hasn't stopped eating meat herself or eating animal products herself but i think with my efforts to kind of show her creative things in the kitchen that were delicious and vegetarian and the fact that there's way more available produce in supermarkets that she would frequent it's really really hard to go shopping these days without there just being all of these plant-based or whatever alternatives right there in your face I think those two things together just meant she kind of gradually eased into it and now she's much more conscious of it when we do like family stuff Mm. but I won't deny that the family, the family element is really difficult because obviously, like with a lot of cultures, the way that a lot of EC families get together is over, you know, is, is over meat dishes. And I think that I initially went in kind of all guns blazing and thinking that I would have to bring my own food to everything and then was actually really pleasantly surprised that my family were actually catering to um, my needs And that's not going to be the experience of everyone. But I think um, like with a lot of things for me, it's just been a case of showing 
leading by example and just showing that actually food can be delicious. I mean, I had, um, I got married a couple of years ago and my husband's also vegetarian and we self-catered the wedding and we made everything ourselves and it was a vegetarian wedding. And I think that maybe was a chance to show people that, you know, it's totally possible to do. And so, yeah, that would be my advice. Lead by example, spice things up. Mm-hmm. When my sister um, became vegetarian, her and my mom actually massively fell out over it because all my mom could manage was boiled cabbage um, <laughs> and something that was completely vegetarian. And so my sister for a while was just eating rice and boiled cabbage um, oh for dinner. It was really bad. Um, like my mom just didn't know how to handle it. And uh, we were a family where you know, all my siblings were living at home for ages because they were saving up for a house and my mum wouldn't let anyone in the kitchen. So it was mm. just a no-win situation. And the ironic thing is that now my mum is basically vegetarian. Um, so I think she saw the light. It was like, actually, it's so good for your health um and it's you know helped to lower her cholesterol and things like that so it's just funny how that happened because for the longest mm-hmm. time my mum was so anti yeah my um dad um when my cousin holly she became a vegetarian probably about like six years ago or something now and we are like like my aunt said we all gather regularly for kind of family dinners obviously pre-covid times then I remember that kind of the first time she came round to my dad's um, he always cooks the food. <laughs> He'd made these spring rolls and she was like, oh, I can't eat them. I'm a vegetarian now. He had done some other stuff. But he was like, you can eat them. And he, she was like, no, they've got pork in. And he got the whole packet out. <laughs> she was like, he was like, look, it's only 7% pork. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, dad, that's not how it works. <laughs> my mum did all of the... Um for our wedding for the for the canapes my mum did all of the um, she did summer rolls and she did summer rolls and spring rolls I really can't remember it was all a blur but she basically hand rolled like hundreds and hundreds of rolls by herself um like she turned up we were all um we got married at my uh in-laws house we were all there just kind of frantically doing everything it was really really DIY and my uncle was over from Vietnam and she she rented a, a house nearby and she just drove drove up in the morning dropped him off and then just went away by herself she did that for two days and she just sat in front of the tv and just like rolled all of these rolls so we had an argument about it because she was like okay so i'll do i'll do like i'll do i'll do uh, vegetarian ones what tofu i can do vegetarian and i can do vegetables only um and then i'll just i'll do some ones with some with some prawns and i was like well it's not it's it's the vegetarian wedding so you can't do that and she went yeah yeah but just for everybody else and I was like yeah but it's not the it's not the point <laughs> I was like it's the, the point is, is that I don't want to buy the uh and then so we had this kind of I mean it wasn't a huge falling out because I had quite a lot of other stuff going on understandably but I tried to insist on it and I think I I, I don't know if anyone is listening who actually went to my wedding maybe you can tell me but I think that she actually might have done it anyway um <laughs> just <laughs> and just serve the the seafood um the 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 summer rolls with prawns in them but yeah they sometimes don't listen but I do think that um like to come back to Charlie's point about her dad you know cooking big feasts and stuff I do think that there's there is a personality type of that you know that kind of hosting hosting kind of um doing all of the cooking that personality type that also enjoys the challenge of catering 
to another person like yeah. I don't know my um my sister's mother-in-law is is a really you know she always hosts um and cooks loads of stuff and we went for Christmas a couple of years ago and I genuinely wasn't expecting it any kind of main thing to be done for my husband and me so I made um I made like a kind of pie thing and thought well we'll just have the sides and stuff and we got there and I told her that I was going to do this and she had not only cooked this like three course um dinner obviously other people contributed dishes as well but you know it's always just chaos there but she'd also just done this whole separate vegetarian main as well just for the two of us and I was like oh my god and then I just thought about it and I was like that's her that's her personality type that's her hosting time and she probably you know I feel like I would be the same if I were hosting because I really like to host people and to cook for people and when people have got various different dietary requirements I do see it as a bit of a challenge. She says this but when we eventually go and be seen holidays she's going to regret that because I am a fussy eater so <laughs> Ryan is going to be like I am not cooking for you Charlie and I can't cook so it's got to be someone else's responsibility. <laughs> we need a list of stuff that you don't know you can eat. But I do know that Charlie's also very happy to eat potato waffles for dinner. Oh, absolutely. Well, there we go. We'll That's just buy table. six boxes <laughs> sorted. Oh, I just wanted to add to my aunt's point um, about like mum just not listening. <laughs> like before my mum came around and then she was like, oh, you turn, you're like just eating veggie at home. I was like, yeah, mainly. And she was like, oh, I've made you some beef balls and some salt and pepper chicken wings. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> just gave me a I bag. I she was going to bring me food. <laughs> yeah, she sure did. When I was at um, university and I was a really bad cook because I was 18 and never cooked before for myself in my life. Um, did anyone ever had like a signature vegetarian dish that they would cook for anyone who was vegetarian because they just had no idea? So I always made just couscous for <laughs> yeah, couscous. <laughs> feel really bad because <laughs> they always got the same dish because I was a terrible cook anyway. I could barely cook for myself. So um yeah maybe I didn't have many vegetarian friends. Maybe they probably ditched Very me that you mentioned that because I have talked about couscous to two other people today um first of all that giant couscous is like supremely superior to normal couscous and secondly that couscous can be really underwhelming if you don't do it properly and I just can't I can I can't make it like my mum can my mum makes the most incredible Moroccan style couscous Mm. but it's like just it's so good it's I can't even explain it's like the ratio of the couscous to veg is just perfect. <laughs> but the veg is also like the perfect size. Like it's just, it's really tinely chopped, tiny, tinily, t- finely and tinily. <laughs> and she made it once for me and my friend when we were driving up from London to Edinburgh, along with these like lamb stuffed tomatoes, like giant tomatoes stuffed with lamb mints that she does. This is back when I used to eat meat. And she made us this picnic to have on the drive, which is like eight or nine hours or something um and he like we both still talk about this picnic to this day and because I was thinking about couscous today I just messaged him I didn't even really contextualize it I just went remember that couscous and he was like yes I think about it all the time and we just <laughs> wax lyrical about the couscous that my mum makes I, I honestly I've asked her for the recipe I've tried to do it I just can't replicate it and it was such a good picnic that here we are 13 years later still talking about it <laughs> that sounds damn good I used to make that every day for lunch when I couldn't cook as well. Could you literally just bo- pour boiling water over it and I just chop in some gherkins and hot sauce? Gherkins and couscous? Yeah. Interesting. 
You like gherkins, don't you, Charlie? Yeah, but not in couscous. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I not surprised? I just feel like if you're going to have couscous, just have boiled rice. Mm. But it's so much easier to cook couscous. Yeah. What, bung it in the rice cooker? Yeah, you don't even have to do that. Quicker. Put, put oh, well, that's an essential. No, I, I think I'm a diehard boiled rice fan, so... <laughs> I mean, me too, but sometimes, like, in summer, I like to eat salmon, couscous, coleslaw, and mm. salad, and that wouldn't go with rice. Well, I was never brought up with really any other cuisine apart from Chinese cuisine, so sort of vegetarian cooking in my household is you know not little to none for a start but also that wouldn't really go beyond um Chinese dishes so I've never cooked couscous and I've rarely really had it because I've not been mm. yeah never really been um brought up with that or or susceptible, your, susceptible to that I guess this is a question for everybody Amy I already know because you said um yeah. did your parents teach you to cook when you were younger no I mean the fact mm. I can't cook now tells you yeah your answer to that <laughs> I wonder yeah, why they I didn't, didn't either. like my you know dad... when you hear on Instagram like people being like my I used to watch my grandma or my dad cook like I would watch but I didn't take anything in yeah I used to watch sometimes and my dad would like try and tell me but because he just eyeballs everything and he's just like oh just put a bit in I'm like how much is a bit and then <laughs> I just I'm not very I've got a terrible memory, basically. So every time he'd tell me, I'd be like, after two seconds, I'd be like, I've forgotten now. My sister yeah. tries something. And also, the yeah. recipes that they give you are so imprecise. <laughs> Do you yeah. remember when? <laughs> you remember when we asked Uncle? I remember when we asked Uncle if he could tell us how to make congee, and he yeah. just went loads of water. <laughs> yeah, and it's like, <laughs> that is that like the Carol, best you've got for me? So for all the listeners, we were trying to compare congee recipes and everybody texted their parents to ask how to do it and the responses that came back were just so vague and Carly actually ended up having to film a tutorial with her mum making congee which I use to this day and have since shared the love with other friends who've also made it the uh, the auntie C method. Yeah I think cooking wise I mean I I've watched my parents but I'm the same as Viv and Charlie I watch it but I need more precise measurements and I don't really remember it unless I I note it down. I think the only time really that I've managed to watch and learn is if I've asked for a specific dish and then they've walked me through it but otherwise a lot of the time it's just been like get out of the kitchen you're in the way. You know what I've discovered since lockdown, though? I used to think my mum's cooking was really complicated. It was quite mystical. I was never allowed in the kitchen. I She always had a, a million pots and pans out, and it just seemed very um, difficult. But then because in lockdown, I had to learn a lot of the dishes myself because I was like, oh, I really miss her special um, hot and sour noodle soup. I'm going to learn how to do it. And I found someone online. Um, if you're listening, her account is at Always Thinking Food, Jennifer. Hello. But she cooks dishes um, from Haifong, which is where my parents grew up. And she made the noodle soup. Yeah, Haifong. And um, I was like I could do this and I made it and I was like oh my god I could actually cook the food my mum makes and yeah I've oh. grown up you know at a yeah. grand old, yeah, grand old age of like 35. <laughs> teach my, my parents didn't teach me how to cook when I was younger my mum didn't actually learn to cook until she was in her 30s 
because I think she had a similar situation, never needed to cook in the family that she was growing up in. So she actually only learned to cook when she moved to Europe. And so she learned to look to cook in Paris. So actually a lot of the food that my mum would make when I was a kid was very French focused. So she didn't impart any knowledge on like how to make Vietnamese dishes, but she did teach me how to make like profiteroles and like tatata and stuff like that, oh <laughs> which God. is really delicious, but not necessarily that helpful when in like, you know, surviving when you get to uni. But um, <laughs> I have like, like Amy have realized that actually Vietnamese cooking, you know, it, it doesn't have to come from my mum, although she has given me a couple of good recipes, but I recently bought the Little Viet Kitchen cookbook which is really really good and definitely definitely recommend um so we've also been experimenting with lockdown recipes and stuff from that and amy and i with uh jima chinese chippy girl shout out we are actually doing a chinese cooking lesson on saturday which is very exciting and we're going to be cooking a vegetarian dish so yeah really looking forward to that I can't wait. It's going to be so good. Noodles. We got noodles. Price or noodles. Yeah, we overruled Georgie. I know she's yeah. too much, but we, we overruled her. Yes. <laughs> oh, Carly's um, had to go. I remember when fondly my dad actually teached me how to bake and he um tried to make some egg tarts at home and he used to be really mm. good at baking he used to work at a bakery when he was younger but yeah. I distinctly remember when we were about four years old we took the egg tarts out of the oven and like it had set perfectly but the pastry stuck to the tin so we were just eating the egg tarts <laughs> out of the tin but it was like a really fun memory that I remember so he used to like when I used to bake he used to just like um walk past and just like have his arms behind his back and just like see what I was doing and like just give me like a tip here and there and I actually like I've taken those tips with me now um and I actually really enjoy baking because of him because I do find myself doing that thing though where I like ignore recipes you know how we were saying about mm. how parents often give you really vague recipes and you need a bit more guidance. But a lot of the time I'll read a recipe and be like, mm, that sounds weird. I'm doing that. And I'll just change it myself. So I reckon that those habits are more ingrained than we think they are. My mm. level of that is when I cook my HelloFresh things, which sends me every single thing already portioned out. I'm like, this needs more chili. Throw some chili <laughs> in it. Or it'd be like, yeah. Don't add too much chili, and I'd be like, add extras. That's my <laughs> level of eyeballing. <laughs> yeah, it's not spicy enough. Those recipes, I think. Yeah. Great. Next question. The question has been submitted by someone called Manny. How do you think Manny you're Manny. described? <laughs> How do you think you're described when you walk into a room of white people? So, say for if you weren't there, how do you think you'd be described? by white people what you mean you've walked in the room and they're left and then they start talking oh, sorry. about you yeah this is a confusing question Jesus. so so you're they know what you look like but you're not there to listen to how they describe you how do you think you'd be described I think I'd be described as a girl with glasses and curly hair and usually wearing either black or red where are we <laughs> is let's say like in the office or am I in London or what or what oh, so we're in Connie. the office yeah, we're in the office, so wherever that might be. I know you work from home, I am, but... Yeah, or the not short really... girl. You can be oh, anywhere yeah. you want, really. You can be anywhere. Social Does situation. It, Does it have to be a physical descriptor? Can be anything. No, it could be the loud one. <laughs> it could. <laughs> I'm, I'm confused. Are these like my colleagues that I already know? Because I think they would just say, that was my Anne. 
they might not know you then <laughs> so so specifically the question is a room full of white people we don't know I, I can't yeah my phone's on I think it's better mode, so if I answer the question ask. like a room full of white people I don't know because I don't I might I don't think my colleagues would comment on people's physical appearance so like white people who like in London or white people exactly. like, you know. I, I would <laughs> say like village pub like in the country in the countryside oh, my God. oh yeah that would be oh, like, I... when you, honestly when you said that that's what I pictured and I pictured like you know my my um my partner's from a rural part of Scotland and I think I think I've talked about this quite a lot on my um social media that there is a totally different dynamic being a person of colour in the countryside in the UK than it is to like, yeah, just walking into a room of white people in London or in a big city like London or Birmingham, Manchester, wherever. Do you guys ever walk into one of those village pubs and your your heartbeat starts going a bit faster? Yeah. Because yeah. you know, like, the staring. I never and thought about you that like... until you mentioned it, Mayan, And I was like, <gasps> I have to yeah, do it a lot. <laughs> it's because I have yeah. to go into rural village pubs a lot and... Um, I, I don't know. I think I've spoken to a few people, not just EC people, um, but also black or South Asian friends who have kind of expressed a similar knee jerk reaction. Like you do get that sort of heightened alertness. Maybe you get a little bit nervous, but also and it's, it's really silly because obviously you look the way that you look, just trying not to draw attention to yourself. And like I often like look down or whatever, which is yeah anybody who knows me I'm 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 quite a a confident and at times very exuberant person so it sounds I'm sure it sounds really strange to hear that I do that when I go into certain places but that is the overwhelming feeling that you get sometimes when you walk into a place mm. and it it doesn't necessarily mean that the people in there are are thinking or reacting or behaving the way that you think they might but it's just that level of constant alertness that I think a lot of people who aren't white have when they move through certain spaces. And it's, mm. it's really important for people to be aware of that. I'm not answering the question at all. I've totally derailed it. No, Sorry, Matt. I, I think, I think, <laughs> I think it does make sense because it intersects with being a woman as well. And we think about a rural mm. pub, it's usually old white men. And then, so you have that layer of like, they're looking at you because firstly you're a woman and secondly, because you're a person of color um, yeah but then I know that obviously that if you're a black man walking to a pub I'm sure they have felt similar as well or anyone who yeah. is marginalized in any way basically if I you're not an the, old white the, man the potential experiences are quite different um I think that the, the I don't know I can't speak for black men walking into pubs but I would imagine that the alertness might be around a sort of uh potential violence or escalating like that whereas like as you said as, as an easy woman a lot of the time when I go into a space like that and I actually used to work in a pub in Scotland um a really lovely pub but obviously you know sometimes you have people who drink and their racist side comes out or their misogynistic side comes out um and there were definitely there were loads of instances where I didn't feel comfortable because of both my gender and my ethnicity mm -hmm. yeah I actually um still near where I live um there's a pub which I used to call the racist pub because uh, I had to walk past it every time I took the bus to go to school and there's always at least one drunk guy outside shouting you know the 
the C word slur at me or, um, nice, you know, nice. being very inappropriate. Yeah, really lovely. Mm. And I used to deliberately try and walk around the pub and just take the really long way home to avoid okay. um, the racist pub. And it's just really, I don't know, it just sticks in your head and mm. um, creates that fear because you just don't even feel safe in your yeah. own neighborhood and to be honest I wouldn't even walk into a pub on my own if it was no. an area I had no idea about because yeah, same. if I didn't I, know I just wouldn't yeah. be comfortable I know there'll be stairs and um that's that's horrible not being able to feel safe or yeah. have that yeah. freedom you think about the reason that people go to the pub in the first place is to is to relax or to have a drink or to meet your friend and be in a relaxed informal space you don't want people to be staring at you and I think it speaks volumes about how sad the situation is that probably all of us know I mean even if you don't drink you know you probably have had to meet friends in pubs or in places where people are drinking you know I think most of us know which pubs you don't go into like certainly when I lived in Edinburgh it was just like I just knew you know I wouldn't go into that pub because it's going to be really racist and that is just oh it's just tragic, isn't it? You know, in Japan, they have some train carriages you can get on that are women only. And um, you get on it because, no yeah, so it's to prevent sexual harassment, basically, um, mm. on the train. So they're ones uh, which are women safe and they're covered in like very beautiful pink petals, like very nicely decorated. But we should have a pub that's like a women's only pub and it's a oh safe God. space. The men's rights clubs. groups would be up in arms about that, wouldn't they? Yeah, true. We'd need proper big bouncers, wouldn't we? But, um, but what is, aren't you supposed to? What? Who are you supposed to ask for at the bar? You know, if you're if you are like, on a date oh, yeah. or something. Oh is yeah, it Angela. Angela. Yeah. yeah. They should. There should be an Angela equivalent for racism. <laughs> yeah. That's actually a really fucking good idea. I'd be saying it all day. Is yeah. business yeah. I, I was gonna say as well talking about kind of going into the pubs um my ex-boyfriend used to live in an area of the northwest which I won't name but is um has a large South Asian population but then no EC people basically um and I remember this was way this was very much when I was white assimilating so I had I was not on activist I had no interest in kind of um the plights and oppression of people of colour, etc. Um, and I remember we used to go to Weatherspoons. I mean, that was the first problem, but we used to go to Weatherspoons. Um, but uh, I remember being in there and saying to him, like, I'm so acutely aware that I'm the only non-white person here. Yeah. And he'd be like, no, you're not. And I'd be like, look around. There is no one here. And he's like, yeah, but why are you bothered? Because no one's ever said anything to you. I was like, that's not the point. <laughs> and I was oh, so hyper yeah. aware of it because mm. um, people had said kind of um, more microaggressions, I would say, than like outright racism towards me. Um, but previously I had had experienced that. And I was just so aware of it all the time, every time we had to go. And it used to make me really uneasy, like even the mm. thought of having to go that's probably one of the reasons I don't drink now actually so I had an excuse not to go (laughs) that's so true like you don't have to have had someone say something to you for you to be acutely aware of your ethnicity and the fact that you stand out like you don't need to like it just must feel so I just can't imagine what it's like to exist as a, a white man and like how 
you don't even have to think of those things when you walk into a pub like it just must be so yeah. freeing. almost like the the stress of kind of constantly being alert to the potential for microaggressions potential, is yeah. like as bad as actually experiencing one itself like mm. oh I was just I was about to, ex- to describe a story um about microaggressions and then I realized that actually it's just outright racism um but when I lived in Edinburgh um I lived in a part of town that I, I won't name but one of my neighbors I lived in a tenement building and one of my neighbors was really fucking racist like just like she just exuded racism <laughs> from her pores um exuded. she never she never <laughs> she never I mean I think she did drop a microaggression to my face here and there but she was never overtly racist to me but she would like corner my friends if they were around um like say for example if they were out in the garden having a cigarette or whatever and she also was a smoker she would like talk to them and and say really racist stuff about them um i.e not white people and it it was one of those things that like we all laughed about really nervously but you know when stuff like that happens and people are laughing and taking the piss out of the racist person to show you that they are not on side with the racist person and they think that they're a terrible person but it also isn't particularly reassuring to you and what you must be feeling inside and you just Mm -hmm. you know you squash it down and you laugh along but actually it, it it just reinforces that certain spaces aren't for you and when you move in those spaces it doesn't matter if nobody's saying anything outright to your face it's the build-up and the impact of years and years and years of experiences and the experiences of your friends and the experiences of people who look like you that create this kind of a shroud of unease that just kind of sits on you and I think that Mm. white people in the UK you know cis hat privileged white people just don't know what that feels like um you know white women will have an understanding of what that feels like existing in spaces dominated by men um or just existing you know in the world but it is it's a really peculiar kind of unease that i'm sure is even heavier for people who are even more marginalized than mm-hmm. us for example um, yeah yeah you really articulated how I felt about a recent experience that happened within my own building like you know I can't even exist within the place that I live um well I was having a lovely chat with someone who is mixed um Chinese Italian we were talking about hair texture and I was saying how thin my hair texture was um and he was like oh is your hair not thick like mine I've got like really thick Chinese hair and then um this woman who works in my building just basically chimed in. She was like, oh, and what size are your feet? And I was just like, um, size six, why? And she's like, you know, because they used to buy in Chinese people's feet. Oh and I was just like, can you just oh shut the fuck up? Like, you weren't even involved <laughs> in this discussion. And also, you are con- entirely wrong as well. Like, just back off and like you know we laugh it off because it's a fucking stupid thing to say anyway but then like you said it is the potential of like you know like before that I kind of sense like she might say some stupid shit but like 
it's just like being like you're constantly armed and prepared for stuff um so and sorry. that's she like it's i laughed it off i remember telling you guys about it in a whatsapp group and i kind of i was like a little bit angry but also i was just like she's a fucking idiot but then it's like it, you're right because it is like built up and built up and built up of all these little incidents that happen that just would not happen mm-hmm. to white people and like it yeah it is just like you no wonder why we experience like mental trauma and mm-hmm. breakdowns because of all these little things compounding together um but yeah and apparently actually my type of like my I'm from like a Han Chinese background we didn't even have like feet binding in our group of Chinese anyway it's not the point but imagine telling her that don't you find that that you also you you, like you get angrier Mm -hmm. the longer after the microaggression it is like the more that you if you tell people about it, you know, maybe it happens, you laugh it off and then you tell people about it and then you start to get way more annoyed about it. And like, I I think once you articulate it to people who understand what it's like and they validate you, you kind of realize, oh yeah, I have a right to be really fucking angry about this. One Mm. thing that has stayed with me since school was um, one time I um, was staying over at a friend's house, sleepover and... um, There were maybe six or seven of us, and we were in her TV room. She had a TV room, not a living room. It was a room Ooh. specifically for TVs, cool. and um, <laughs> it was nearly bedtime. And my friend's mum was there, and she went, "Oh, Amy, you look quite tired. Do you need to go to bed?" And my friend, I should say, so-called friend, we're actually not friends anymore, so that's why I don't mind saying the story. <laughs> is um, she said. Mom, she's not tired. Those are just her eyes. <gasps> yeah. Oh! <laughs> so this was, you know, I was 11 or 12. Oh. I was in her house. Obviously, oh, I wasn't going to do anything. But it's something where I have carried it with me. I've carried it for such a long time. Oh. And, um, you know, I'm obviously never going to go back and say anything about it, like turn up on her doorstep. But <laughs> it's just <laughs> one of those things which has really... I've just held on to it. I need yeah. some way to let it go because yes, yeah, she was supposed to be my friend and I was friends with her for ages, like you know, till yeah. we left school. Mm-hmm. But it's one thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um I, I always think back to it and I was like, I wonder what her mum felt, or did she know mm-hmm. it was bad? And mm-hmm. yeah, it's it does have a toll on you. It really does wear you down. Because obviously mm-hmm. that's not just one instant. I've had things like that throughout my life and yeah yeah, it's just hard it's it's one of those things where you do hold it with you it's hard to let go like it's just another feeling of othering like in our daily lives I remember when um, I was in year four and then we were all going around like in the playground asking each other what's what each other's parents names were and I remember saying that my dad's name was Ming and my mum's name was Yuk and they were like ew Ming and Yuk that's disgusting and I felt so much shame so long about telling people my mom and dad's Chinese names and like now I well I kind of just find it not funny but like I'm proud of telling people what their name actual name is rather than their western given names um and like there is nothing to be ashamed of because they don't mean the same things that they do over here yeah so there's actually now published research which to the listeners is available on the BCN website on our resources page 
that actually discusses the impact on well-being and overall mental health among East and Southeast Asian people um, caused by racism and microaggressions over you know, the course of your lifetime. So it is, it's really interesting and I advise everyone to go and check it out, but it, it really does take its toll on you. Um, and I guess if I can bring us onto a bit more of a positive note, something that I have done recently is discussed with my partner exactly how I would like him to react when stuff like that happens, particularly in the context of like being in the rural countryside, because there's just an increased potential for stuff like that. And particularly where he's from, there have been quite a few incidents where somebody's been racist towards me and everybody on his side has been really uncomfortable and obviously I've been extremely uncomfortable and upset but you don't want to be a burden you don't want to like insert yourself or whatever so we've had a conversation about like actual practical things that he needs to do in order to make sure that I'm okay and in order to kind of dissolve the situation and I think that this is the kind of stuff that we all need to be talking about not just with our partners or the people who are closest to us but with our friends as well mm-hmm. um you know, and it comes back to this idea that we always talk about, about being like a good active bystander. It doesn't just apply to physical acts of aggression or to hate crimes. It applies to things that happen yeah. every day to the people that you love. My gosh. Yeah, that's so true. And I'm like really glad that you've had that conversation with your husband. My, my friend Louise, um, she was such a fucking brilliant ally. She just outright asked me, how do you want me to handle it? How do you want me to react? What would you want me to do if we ex- if you experience some something racist outside? What do you actually want me to do? And like we had a really good discussion about it because I wasn't sure on the answer initially. I wasn't sure how to actually uh, tell her because I've never really been in that situation where a friend has had to step in before. I've always kind of either been on my own or the people around me haven't done anything about it. Um, and it's those types of questions where like that kind of support you just know that it just means so much when if you we step out of the house together she's going to have my back she's going to be trained somewhat to actually help me and like you're so right it's not just being an active bystander to the public it is to those closest to you as well and she's the she's the only white friend who's asked me that to be fair Um, Mm -hmm. and I guess because we hang out a lot with each other at the moment because we live in the same building but um but yeah I think it's just is a really good reminder and also yeah. to ourselves as well how can we be a good active bystander to other, others who are more marginalized than ourselves too yeah I think it's about also um now I've certainly made a commitment to just not caring about someone else's comfort if they've said something bad or you know said something really ignorant um I used I used to would just let it slide and um now I'm so much quicker at speaking up because um I've just always remembered instances in the past where I've just gone damn I wish I had said that and it's haunted mm-hmm. me for days and so now it's been quite satisfying um <laughs> especially when I've been out in public and someone yeah. said something inappropriate I'll mm-hmm. immediately um speak back or um chat back to them which tends yeah. to surprise them because I think I I'm only five foot <laughs> and um, Asian <laughs> and I think I, I look like an easy target and yeah. so it does disarm them when I start mm-hmm. saying something yeah like yeah. for you Amy mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Have you seen that know. video um that's circulating today actually 
um, the, there's a, the guy who was getting attacked in Piccadilly Circus, EC yeah. guy getting attacked in Piccadilly Circus, and there was like a a streamer or a I don't know, yeah, he yeah, was like a live streamer, and he happened to be streaming at the time, and he saw this guy getting mm. attacked, and like the conviction with which he shouts, he just honestly, you see him like he's wow. running as every no. Is every, he's like he's, he runs over to the guy immediately and it just starts immediately screaming at the attacker going fuck off fuck off leave him alone who does leave the streamer the, the streamer, streamer. So he's like wow. literally with all his force running towards the attacker who oh i think had God. a knife actually but Shit. the conviction with which he was like shouting at this oh. guy the guy just backed off immediately tried to come back and he was like no you get away don't you touch him don't you touch him and he was just oh so God. like so forceful with his words that and then that it obviously attracted some bystanders who came over and and then the guy legged it um and I'm not obviously I'm not advocating that people should run towards an attacker with a knife you should never ever do anything that you don't feel safe doing um but you know it was clearly like his you know his absolute um I can't say stop saying the word conviction but if someone else (laughs) is going to be a synonym but the confidence with which he was just going for it was so impactful that's what we need yeah Yeah. definitely I saw someone actually share an Instagram story with me of this this white influencer she's like a fast fashion influencer like on her grid it's just like her in clothes like she doesn't talk about activism at all but um I uh she posted a few Instagram stories where she talked about um uh, she was in Starbucks and the woman who was serving the customer in front of her was a EC woman. Um, I think she, she was race, racialized as Chinese and the customer in front of um, this influencer person um, said something about like basically started berating this woman and saying like, this is why um, we have Corona because of you to the Chinese woman serving her. And then like, so this influencer, she just went ballistic at this white woman in front of her saying like, you can't say, like basically just had a yeah. massive go at her. And then like she said, what made me fucking angry was the fact that there was so many people, so many white people around. No one said anything apart from her. And she was like, it made my blood boil that I was, she was the only one to stand up to this person. And like, I actually messaged her and I was like, Uh, someone share this with me thank you so much like I know we shouldn't be grateful Mm. but I was grateful because I'm like you could have potentially just saved that person from well she's obviously going through so much distress but just seeing that Mm. kind of like active bystander allyship right there um is just so rare we just don't see it at all and yeah it's like it shouldn't be it shouldn't be something that we're like oh my god we're so grateful but lo and behold we are because it just doesn't happen comes um, back to that difficulty of bridging the theoretical and the practical doesn't it like everyone would love mm. to think that they would jump in in a situation like that but when it comes down to it practically speaking yeah you know it's really difficult to make that leap I do understand that but, I'm yeah. like a delegator if I'm out and I see something happening especially if I'm with my boyfriend I like make him do it I'm like go on go on <laughs> you do it go on yeah, I'm only five foot four in Asia I'm only five foot you five do foot, it not even five foot four I actually don't know whether this is the same situation at all. I, whether I was just being a rude, um, like public citizen, but some woman was on a bike and like she was like going past, she was like, looked like she was going past me. So I stopped and then like she went round behind me. She went, for God's sake, just move out of the way. And then I went, fuck off, you rude woman. <laughs> yes, exactly. I don't know whether that's me being horrible or her. Well, she started it, to be fair. She started it. I've had that loads. <laughs> 
is it okay so this is a good point where can I ask like does it happen to you quite often because I often feel like if I look around me I think I might be being paranoid but <laughs> I don't often see people saying stuff like that but more often than not I get people like coming up behind me going oh come on or oh, if I'm yeah. getting on the oh, train. That's just the worst though, isn't it? When you don't yeah. know if someone's being racist or not. Like I was exactly. a, when I, at Christmas, um, yeah, like I had an, a situation with um, an old white woman who she, we were basically, um, I was getting on a plane and the plane was busy, but that's beyond my control. Obviously social distancing is really difficult to do. Everyone was wearing masks. Um, and she was like tutting and sighing. She was sitting down. So she was already on the plane and I was um, filing past, not doing anything different to anybody else. And she looked at me and just went, oh. Oh and like started God. shaking her head and then like muttering to herself under her breath. Oh my God. And she didn't do it to anybody else. And like I wasn't doing anything different to anybody else. And I was just like, am I like, is she being racist? Is she not being racist? Mm. And my partner was like, She's probably being racist <laughs> but I was like second guessing myself so much and it's coming back to that idea of like the the stress and the anxiety around it is almost as bad as the thing itself like just that the uncertainty yeah has anyone ever heard of that experiment where um they did some kind of research I'm very sorry about this extremely sketchy details about this but there was some research where they found that POC tend to um walk so if someone's walking towards them they'll walk out of the way in order to let that white person pass and there was some reasoning that white people tend to feel more confident in terms of knowing that a POC would walk around them rather than making way for them and I don't know how exact this is but I do think I do that I do tend to give way rather than just walk in a straight line because I think I do get bumped into a lot more if I do and I have tried it there have been times where I'm like no I'm not gonna move and I'll just get shoved but- I think that's um also kind of um a female thing as well because I yeah. purposely do not move out the way now because I became very aware of it I think that maybe I read something similar or you know it came up but it was that um this thing was that women had a tendency to move out the way if someone was walking towards you it'd be the woman that would move out the way yeah. um so now I just choose not to I'm like you can walk around me shove me all you want yeah. I am not it's... moving yeah I actually it's the idea of like taking up space whether in a physical sense or yeah. in a you know hypothetical metaphorical sense Le- yeah. no what's the word I'm looking for figurative sense yeah whether it's in a figurative but also physically sometimes yeah like, yeah, yeah both, obviously yeah. pre-covid times um I really like sometimes delight in the <laughs> inserting myself more taking up more space like when you're sitting on public transports or like especially if you're sitting on a plane because um living where I live I have to take planes quite a lot um and you know when you're like battling the other person it's like a silent battle for the for the armrest um <laughs> And I've got absolutely no problem with just shoving my elbow in there so that we're like, you know, we're touching each other. And there's usually most people, nine times out of 10, if you just really just press up against them with your elbow, they will just move because they're so uncomfortable at touching somebody. And now that I'm saying it, I'm aware that I'm like probably being kind of inconsiderate of their personal space, but it's usually with men 
who mm. are like spreading their legs really widely and yeah. that also bothers me so I now I'm like fine if you're going to spread your legs I'm going to do it too I'm going to put my foot in your bit of the you know the bit where you stretch your legs out um yeah. and, and like I've just managed it's taken a few years of practice but like managed to get past that point of like oh I'm touching someone else's foot and just like leaving it there and just leaving yourself in their space and then they realize more often than not they just realize that you're in their space and they kind of adjust and then you can both go back to having your own personal space and it it is quite uncomfortable doing it but once you get used to it it is quite fun oh my god that's such a good idea like fucking give them a taste of their own medicine fucking spread your legs wide yeah man spreading man's yeah exactly i don't have to be a man i don't have to exactly exactly i don't have to identify as a man to man spread fuck you i'm mm-hmm. gonna do what i want yeah fuck you <laughs> give me my fucking arm rest back <laughs> we've digressed a bit haven't we we've got we like two ask, questions we didn't even ask the question we, yeah <laughs> what was the question i actually can't remember <laughs> how would someone about? describe was... you how would white people yeah. describe you in a room fuck is that the last loud. question that i asked yeah. i mean that, that loud asian girl who spreads who takes we up did room. have it keeps a spreading questions. um i think if how many questions have we got this, uh, we have what one or two but the the two the, it's gonna i know it's gonna be so long if i ask you this question Fine, should we just we'll see ask, how it goes we'll ask i'll ask it anyway what do you want your life to look like and then they've given you either two years five years or ten years time so let's We've go let's go with like five years time and let's see or maybe two two is more achievable i think i don't know what, I'm, what the fuck i'm doing next week never mind two years <laughs> well obviously own. we'll have bc and hq set up yeah not just yes. on the sims <laughs> not just on the sims although yes. that is the model for the <laughs> hq um it's the sims which um carly built while uh viv and i were watching and charlie as well we created BC and HQ and Sims. Uh, and it was beautiful. It was such a was utopian gorgeous. future. There was a play area for yeah. the kids. There was a breakout area, meeting room. There were gold ingots all around it. There was a podcast. <laughs> there was a podcast. Room. Yeah, there was a podcast. We saw the podcast was BC was and podcast. Barbecue yeah. bit. It was so good. Let's get yeah. Carly back on that. But then I think her routine might be fucked if we ask her to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to keep it simple and yeah I'm going to keep it simple and say I want to see way more strides and advances in the movement for equality uh, not just for East and Southeast Asian people but I think that we're in a really interesting place in time at the moment where we are having so many more conversations around Mm -hmm. racial justice and around social justice in general I would love to see you know actual tangible leaps being made um in terms of social justice for racism transphobia you know able disability rights i would just i would just like to see the world being a bit less shit i would like to see um you know more conversations from like brands about how they plan to you know not fuck up the planet anymore and i would really like to be able to visit my family in vietnam i've been trying to go since like <laughs> well we was supposed to go last February obviously that got cancelled it's not going to happen this year um and I haven't been for years so um that's those are my 
those are my two things I want one big one and one hopefully quite small and achievable one equality for marginalized people and a holiday that sounds achievable that's so simple not necessarily enough. equality because it's not realistic but like i would like to see Progress. some more yes some strides strides yeah. i think um i well i have an overwhelming anxiety about thinking about anything that's further than like two weeks away but if i actually do think about it i would like to have found my voice much more in kind of the activist sphere because I think you know if I look at my progress over the past six months I'm still so new to this and I think I have made a lot of progress in kind of how I can address these topics and I do a lot more actively address these things now be it in my work or just in my day-to-day life but I would like to continue to see that progress grow and kind of really find my confidence in it um, and you know make waves in the world even if the little Wait. small ripples. You will, Charlie. You will. So inspiring. <laughs> you in that are. Like, Charlie, the things that you've been doing recently, bringing stuff up in the workplace, and yeah, even just like you said earlier, reclaiming your Chinese name, like all of you in B-Scene, you do things every day in your work and in your personal lives that I find really, really inspiring. Um, and maybe you don't realize that you're doing it but the way that you all fight for the things that you're passionate about on a really micro everyday level I find um, really really encouraging and it makes me want to do better and to do the same really. But I think even those kind of like you say micro everyday level type things that is still so new to me Um, and Mm. you know I, I am kind of quite proud I guess I mean I feel like we're going back to that word of proud and like <laughs> whole other podcast I did on it but you know of um the way I have been able to stand up and voice my opinion more but I would just like to see that progress to you know outside of the everyday things um, mm-hmm. because I do think there is a place for me in the activist world and that you know working with Basine and other organizations and other people um that can continue to grow um so I'm quite looking forward to be that. proud of it you did it yeah. It's amazing, though, what seemed impossible a few months ago, say, you know, this time last year, and what mm-hmm. has actually happened just by us just taking a chance, like Viv, you tweeting Women's Hour, just oh God, snowballed yeah. into something, and obviously it mm-hmm. ended up with Mayan being able to appear, but then that led to other opportunities, and it literally yeah. just took a tweet, and it just blows my mind how I was just like, how does this even happen? Because I think about the petition, um, which we were all behind, all promoting, and then to where we are now, an actual organisation, with speaking with massive companies, consulting with them, doing panels and talks. And I just think like two years ago, I was just like in Switzerland. (laughs) And Amy, I always think about, not always, you only said it the other day. (laughs) I work Cuscus more. Amy, Amy, I I do think about what you said the other day about how I think a, a, a key reason why we're thriving the way that we are is because we've never seen be seen as something bigger than itself. We've, if anything, 
been the opposite. We've been like, oh my God, I can't believe all this stuff is happening. And like, you know, freaking out over, I don't know, the first donation that we got was like, yeah. you know, first time we got, the first time we got a donation of like 20 pounds or something. Obviously any amount is, is, is an amazing amount, but I was being like, oh my God, people actually want to give us money. And like, yeah. just, just like really, I think we've all just been so humbled by the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you didn't answer, what's your hopes for the two years to come? like for canal i was i was gonna say something dead simple you're like i want equality for all people and, to, and i'm literally like i just want to have a boyfriend <laughs> oh i'm not no i'd like that as well a boyfriend and a new car <laughs> yeah like i don't know i just want to continue living my life and have a fucking boyfriend i've been single for two years now um so i would like that and obviously you know equality for people and then you know fight racism everything but else first a boyfriend but first a boyfriend <laughs> <laughs> what about amy amy's not answered either don't you oh, say fucking equality. what she said yeah, I just oh, want yeah, to build yeah, yeah, yeah. HQ. No, I genuinely, I really believe in us. And, um, you know, I really hope that we're able to take this as far as we can. And, you know, I feel hyper-focused on it because it's something I'm really passionate about. I think every time I look at my daughter, I'm like, gosh, I have to do this. I always feel like I don't have a choice because otherwise mm. I, I want to be able to envisage a world where hopefully she'll deal with less. I know it won't be eradicated, but a bit less of the bullshit that yeah. we've had to put up with growing up. Yeah. And I feel like I need to be able to know that I've done something. And mm-hmm. so that's something that I feel is just so important to me. But yeah. also I want to be able to go back to Japan again. So um, I really miss that place. So I want to be able to do a, a good old food trip around Southeast Asia, hopefully around um, East Asia to um, because with lockdown happening, we had planned a massive trip. Obviously, it didn't happen. Uh, so, yeah, I want that last big trip, that last big gap year. I feel like that. I feel like that when I look at your daughter and she's not even my child. Yeah. <laughs> cool. Has anyone thought about quitting at all? Yeah, every day. Quitting be seen. Yeah, no. like just being like, Never. I can't do this anymore. Never. Like, does it seem like an option to be like, I just no. want to quit? At the very start, I was so overwhelmed with because you you all seem to just know everything. And I was like, I do not fit in here because I don't know anything. (laughs) Like you all gave off this aura of like all having your shit together. Like you were so on it. And I was like, I don't even know the fucking difference between race and ethnicity. and I very very seriously considered being like look guys I'm just gonna be like bye (laughs) um I'm I'm glad I didn't that's classic imposter syndrome classic syndrome um and I don't think that we properly know the difference between race and ethnicity I listened back to the last podcast and I actually accidentally said race when I meant ethnicity I was like fuck's sake (laughs) (laughs) didn't notice didn't notice I I did think about it once where I was like this this has cost me so much like just speaking up it's cost me a lot of friendships relationships but then I'm also like it's worth it it's their loss 
like I think yeah. I've come out of the other side mm. now whereas like at one point I was just like fuck like yeah. Jesus like I had a very comfortable life you know with comfortable friends and like yeah. never rocked the boat and then all of a sudden it was like Phew! friendship gone friendship gone friendship gone um but mm. you know it's for the greater good really I do respect that a lot of people of color don't want to have to deal with the marginalization that you face every day because obviously we while we're shaped by our ethnicity it's not all that we are you know we we do other stuff too and it would be great if the world could just like focus on the stuff that we do and who we are without it always coming down to marginalization and so I do understand that sometimes people just don't want to engage they don't want to have to fight that fight all the time because it is always for people of color to fight and it's always people of color who are defending other people of color and that is so exhausting I've got nothing but you know respect to people who just making a decision to like no I just want to live my life but the way that I see it is that I just I can't I can't it's like once you've seen something and you can't unsee it Mm. I don't have a choice like Amy said that's how I feel yeah, and I think in like Amy said before, um, about if we don't do it, kind of who will? Um, I was in a really uncomfortable position the other day, um, which I told the Basine group about where I was in kind of a forum where some it was a forum to discuss um diversity and you know, some people said some very problematic things and I was so uncomfortable and I wanted to just leave. Um and kind of someone had caveated at the start that, you know, if you if you don't feel like you can have this conversation you can leave at any time no questions asked I was like I'm I just need to leave but then I thought if I leave there's no one here to kind of question the problematic things or you know put another point across to make the people consider why what they're saying isn't appropriate or isn't suitable um or isn't um right so it's kind of that you know if we don't do it there might not be anyone else to do it so that's why I keep going imagine a anti-racist organization founded by all white people what every diversity and inclusion (laughs) board and and there's loads of like um you know there are loads of foundations for people with certain disabilities that are completely run staffed board members or able-bodied people there's loads of stuff like that I find it really really confusing like what is their motive you know but is that allyship? I think we're getting probably way too deep for mm. towards the end of the podcast. <laughs> I've always been uncomfortable though with that term um, allies and allyship because I feel like it posits people on two sides of a fence, like you're either an mm. ally or not. And I yeah. think that's dangerous because then as we've witnessed, some people just use it as a badge, like they whack it on their social media. It's like, I'm an ally, so that's all good. You're safe with me. non-performative in brackets and um I think then it sort of erases the fact that all of us are capable of being toxic and all of us are capable of being allies at the Mm. same time and I just think for me the simpler terms like sometimes you're shitty sometimes you're not because um yeah it's more of an ongoing thing than like a yeah I got my badge I'm all good and yeah so Mm. I actually especially with language I'm really trying to analyze like actually I want to say a few things a bit less because I I realize how they've been used and I'm like ah yeah I'm not comfortable with that 
so basically being like, co-opted by white people that term yeah and to yeah. come back to just to like finish on a, a really dense note but like that's how racism works in the first place that the reason that you cannot have systemic racism against white people is because it's it's something that is ingrained into all of our systems and all of the different facets of our society it's like you can't if you have something that's so fucked up you can't just like constantly repair little parts of it and and think that that's going to give you a whole new product it's just not the way that it works and so starting off on that foot when you're, I don't know, if you're founding an organization to tackle a certain kind of thing, it just doesn't make any sense to establish the terms, you know, created by people who don't have any lived experience of that particular marginalization. It's just absolutely ridiculous concept. And I think that we try and apply this all the time to systems of white superiority complex that we're just trying to patch up and it doesn't work and there's it just brings us back to that Audrey Lord quote that you can't you cannot use the master's tools to dismantle the master's house mm. that is a great quote to end the podcast on I think is that the last question Lord. is that the well, last question yeah I'm gonna end it here it's an hour and a half and I need to edit this so yes it is yeah fair enough <laughs> Thank you it's so a deep much. One, eh? Yeah, I know. Fucking Jeez, hell. Louise. That was a good one. Yeah. Yeah. I was expecting more like underpants questions. To yeah, I was. Amy, you <laughs> did was submit a question it. to me. Did it was, I? How's did your I? bot bot? Yeah, it was when. <laughs> no, that was me. No, no, it was Amy as well. Did you submit it too? Oh, Other oh, two. How's it, your bot bot? I definitely asked used it the to word, you. If you use the word bot bot, it was almost definitely me. I think I co-opted it. Yeah, Amy co-opted your term, unfortunately. I was actually Sorry. thinking earlier that part of our tagline could be rants, pants, and bants. <laughs> I kind of love that. Yeah. Rants, pants. That makes sense. It's how so Actually, pants question. Because the last podcast that you and I did together, we talked mm-hmm. about um, those period pants that I recommended. Yes. How did you get on? I fucking love my periods now. Right? Moddy, oh, my God. So, so good. good. Everyone needs to get Moddy Body Pants. I have a referral Moddy Body, please sponsor us. Please sponsor us, Moddy Body. Hashtag gifted. Hashtag please gift us because they're not cheap. But, <laughs> yeah, but shout out to my friend Taya for recommending them to me in the first place because they were life changing. Like not cheap, change but what is but what is day? the price for your? I mean, if you you know can afford it, and we're kind of very privileged to be able to afford period pants. But what is that cost? You know, compared to a the sheer joy of being able to wear them and be mm-hmm. like I don't know the cost of how much you'd spend on sanitary products over however many years exactly. which is really prohibitive mm, yeah, yeah yeah invest in them and you feel good in them as well like on your period yeah. you don't have to wear shitty period knickers yeah and they look cool and I feel good in jeans in them and like I don't have to bother with tampons that are like you know fidgety and then also period pads which I then have to throw away and they get all manky and shit like that yeah, yeah love I love them love, love them. them I'm about to burp so I think we should end it here really <laughs> I love it <laughs> I love it love oh, it thank you love again it. I'm gonna go and eat a dinner that is like 80% grown by me 
Oh yes, love that. I'm very excited. We'll a whole other episode about gardening. Oh wait, <laughs> do we? With do me. we? Do we? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe Maya could do it on yeah on her own. Maya and Kim, <laughs> like, welcome like to my aunt's gardening record. Segment. I'd like to say on the record that it wasn't me advocating for a gardening section. <laughs> yeah, you and Kim from Nano Sounds can do it. No, we have to get Holly on. Holly's a Holly's a pro gardener. Ooh, yeah. and oh, yeah. She um she also is a, a bit of an amateur gardener as well. Oh no, you I'm can a shit that gardener. Out, Mayan. You will you will coordinate <laughs> that episode. <laughs> sure. I'm sure we'll get loads of I don't know actually. I think gardening Instagram is pretty good. Thank you very much, everyone. Bye-bye. Thanks. It was nice to chat. So lovely.